everybody and welcome to another one in our continuing series of financial well-being podcasts. Um, my name's David Lloyd. I'm here with uh, the two other regular contributors. Uh, introduce yourselves. Chris, but may I start, Tom? Yeah, right? yeah, might as well. Change, change, change things up a bit. <laughs> uh, Chris Budd, I wrote the Financial Wellbeing book. Um, I used to own a company called Ovation Finance, but as listeners of this podcast will know, I recently sold it to an employee ownership trust. I think my current status, David, I would, I think it was Mark Twain, I would paraphrase, rumours of my retirement have been greatly exaggerated. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll perhaps find out more about that later on. Tomo! Hi everyone, Tom Morris here, Chartered Financial Planner and Employee Owner of Ovation. So there's a weird spooky link there that we might find out a little bit more about how that's, how that's going on. However, the one thing that continues, irrespective of the ownership status of Ovation Finance, is our financial wellbeing podcast. So I'm basically a mate of Chris's, I'm a, a, an actor, a broadcaster, and, and I'm here to um, just draw fantastic financial knowledge out of these two experts, hopefully in a fun and amusing way. I have to say I'm very relaxed at the moment because I've just come back from a week's holiday. I've been to Spain for a have week. Have you? Another yeah. week's holiday? I, well, I don't know about another one. It's the first one I've had since Christmas and it's now June. No, so, fair enough. All right, uh, then. Yeah. So I'm feeling very chilled, very relaxed. And also, um, it would be interesting to see if regular listeners note a slightly different uh, oral ambience today <laughs> because we're not recording uh, in the uh, high class studio which we normally record in i.e. Chris's front room because there's some because there's some because there's some people digging up the drive outside so we've retreated to Chris's cabin his man cave out the back which is where I believe you wrote the financial well-being in book in this very room yes isn't that amazing and your and your upcoming book as well yeah which is all about how to sell your own business do you want to tell us anything about that bless your heart yeah so the eternal business it's called is available for pre-order on Amazon just type Chris Budd into Amazon you'll see all my books I love saying that <laughs> uh, and it's um, it's a pathway to transition a business into employee ownership it's a brilliant new way to succession a business it helps employees in helps owners to get out over time and it's really all about building sustainable businesses that book available in your bookshops very soon. I must get my novel finished as well. It'll be two you years must. this September, but it's coming along. Have you done your first draft? It's yet? coming along. It's, I'm getting towards the end of my first okay. draft. So, so I'll be reading it soon. Will uh, I? Possibly. I'll have to say. I need to get it finished first. <laughs> Tomo, how's your book coming along? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, still on. Still on the uh, famous five, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what you say? You laugh, but I remember when I first um, first started dating my now wife, um, Lindsay. And she found out very quickly that I wasn't a particularly well-read man when it came to fiction. So she's an English teacher. So she slowly over the years introduced me to year seven literature, year eight, <laughs> year nine. I'm somewhere, year, I'm around year 10 or 11 at the moment. What's that in English? That's, that's what, fifth year? 14, fourth, 15, oh yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. to old people, fourth or fifth one. Yes, uh, I'm getting there. But yeah, I'm a non-fiction man, so Chris's book will be brilliant. Exactly, exactly. Right, okay, enough of this ink consequential chit chat chris what's on today's podcast today david uh, the title of this podcast is theories of happiness <sighs> we're going to look at how to be happy is that all 
<laughs> well, you've got to aim high. Um, there's a number of different theories out there about what makes us happy. So I thought it'd be interesting to look at a few of them and see how money can fit in with them and see what we can learn and maybe maybe change how we do things a little bit. Oh, so we're not just going to wallow in our feelings of happiness. We're actually going a bit analytical and highbrow, aren't yeah, we? Certainly not. We're going to get out a few of the theories so we can see what they mean in practice. Theories are only of any use if it leads to change in behaviour. So that's what we're going to try and focus on. OK. Before we move on to that, let's come to the bit in our podcast where we take questions from listeners. But I believe we're approaching this in a slightly different way. Well, I just wanted, I wanted to share something with you, something that happened that really, really tickled me. Um, tell you a little story, OK? There's a, we had a young lad, a work experience lad in, in our office, um, cracking young chap, um, by coincidence, turns out in the sits next to my son at school, which is quite funny. He, neither of us realised that when we, when we uh, went into the room for me to just explain to him what we do at Ovation. And I was telling him about financial planning and about how we use coaching and Ovation to help people understand themselves better. And I was describing the Kolb model of learning. Now, this is very relevant because this is in the Financial Wellbeing book. And the Kolb model of learning explains that we go through a cycle. OK, so we have an experience then we'll reflect upon that experience, we'll learn from it. That will then change our future actions, which will create a new experience upon which we reflect, which creates learning. And so we go around in the cycle all the time. It's constantly happening. And obviously when you're a baby and you, these are these are big changes, but as you get older, what happens is you start to have an experience that just confirms what you thought you previously knew, you know. So the trouble can be with this um, cycle of learning is we get confirmation bias um, and we end up just doing things that confirm what, what, we, what we think we already know. And when it comes to money, this is what creates some bad habits and so forth. So I was explaining all of this to Michael. And now this creates beliefs and creates bad habits. So how do you get out of those bad habits? Well, you insert a new bit of information into the cycle. You change the experience. OK, so I was explaining all this to this chap and he was finding it very interesting. Honestly, he was. And uh, <laughs> he then we changed the subject and I mentioned something about mobile phones. And he said, oh, I said, I don't have a mobile phone. Fifteen, you don't have a mobile phone. So, well, I do, but uh, it's broken and my dad's getting it fixed. All oh, right. How did it broke? Oh, I dropped it on the floor to show somebody that it wouldn't break. <laughs> and I said, well, what made you think that dropping it on the floor it would not break? Well, I dropped it on the floor about five times before and it didn't happen. So that is quite literally an example of the comp cycle of learning. Mm. You did it five times. You therefore thought your phone was indestructible. To prove it, you dropped it on the floor to somebody and you have new evidence to show that that's not the case. It's the most perfect example of the cold cycle of learning. Excellent. Well, it's good to know that you can put your management speak into practice in your daily life. Chris. And to be honest with you, if he just told us that story from the outset, you wouldn't have had to waffle on to him for about 20 <laughs> minutes, would you? Right. 20 minutes? He had about an hour's worth from me. <laughs> be interested to see his report on his work experience. Yes. Well, well he looked very interested at the time. <laughs> I think he's obviously perfected that teenage ability to look interested while dying quietly inside. <laughs> Well, and Chris, right now it's time to move on to another very, very important feature. It's one of my favourites. Uh, it's featuring our uh, First Lady of Frugality himself, Tomo, our Prince of Parsimony, our Champion of Cheapness, uh, the man who knows what it is to not spend money on things, and he's going to share some of those with us today. But before we get one from the big man himself, um, 
Chris, have we got any other tight-ass Tomo tips coming in from our listeners? Yeah, we've got one which I think might just be the most perfect tight-ass Tomo tip yet from David Hearn at Don't Delay on Twitter, uh, who's a financial planner. Um, he actually offered it to a friend of ours, a fellow podcaster, Nick Lincoln, who does the Money Hat Tip podcast, which is worth a listen. Nick's a fun and interesting character. But it works so perfectly for us that I asked if I could nick it. So here's the tip. David says, when it's your partner's birthday, buy them a weekend away, but book the dates for your anniversary. Romantic, thoughtful, and saves your home to buy an anniversary present as well. <laughs> who says the age of romance is dead? I've got one here from Rebecca Cave at Tax Writer Limited who says, I don't put the heating on until my hands are too cold to type. Right, put some gloves on and save even more money. That's what I say. But actually, I've also got a tight-ass tip. Oh, right. Based on my recent holiday, I've just had a lovely week in Spain uh, in a villa that belongs to some friends of mine. So basically, uh, well, I had to, we had to make a contribution of €100 Euros each towards the water because water bills are massively expensive in that part of Spain. But apart from that, it was free. So my tip is, find some rich friends who have a villa in Spain. Be nice to them. And if you're very lucky, they might let you go and stay in their villa for nothing. Well, you could just tell us who your friends are and we could all become friends with them. Well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's top secret information. So, Tomo, what have you got for us today? OK, mine this week is... It's a bit of a serious one, but I think it's going to help quite a few people or, or people's friends who, who listen to this. So when you build up state pension entitlement, it's all based on national insurance credits. And you get those by things like working. If you if you pay a certain amount of national insurance, you get a credit towards your state pension. And if you're receiving child benefit, for example, and, and not working, you get a credit towards your state pension. And you need 35 years to get the full state pension that's available, which I think is a about £165 a week, so not insignificant. However, I came across something quite useful for my own mother-in-law. So she had a couple of years where she's not working anymore, she's retired, but she's got a couple of years where she needs some credits to put towards the full state pension. Well, it turns out because Lindsay's receiving child benefit and also earning enough to receive it via her work, she can actually transfer the credits directly to my mother-in-law because she's looking after Toby once a week. Wow, okay, that is, that, you know, that's quite useful. That is very useful, so you can actually transfer credits across. Correct, so it, the rules around it, and I looked into this, and it, it doesn't specify how long you need to be caring for the grandchild, but all it is is the person that receives the child benefit and is working goes, I don't need this credit, and, and goes online if you type in um, transfer tax credits or national insurance credits to to grandparent all the details will come up and yeah a fantastic way to be able to to get it and i'm going to put pounds and pence on this it would cost you about 700 or quid to buy a year's worth of national insurance credits um and you get about 200 quid a year extra in income from the state pension well if you get transferred transferred over doesn't that extra 200 quid not cost you anything at all and that's for life so there you go well done, Tomo. Absolutely fantastic tip there. I think we've all learned something today. Haven't we, I think Chris? I think it's now been worth having him on these podcasts for that one moment alone. So, Chris, throw me a few theories of happiness. Tell me how I can be even more happy than I already am because I've just come back from holiday. <laughs> okay, so 
there's four theories of happiness I want to have a look through. It's all about the Know Thyself principle that runs through the Financial Wellbeing book and these podcasts. We're going to have a look at the theories of happiness and see uh, whether we might recognise ourselves and some of our own bad habits. The first of these is called Set Point Theory. Anyone for tennis? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm glad we're taking this seriously. So (laughs) let me illustrate Set Point Theory with a survey. There was... A survey done in the 1970s of two groups of people, a group of lottery winners and a group of people who had a traumatic event, loss of limbs, I think it was. And they asked these people whether they had been happy before the event and whether they were happy afterwards. David, what do you think was the result of that survey? Well, part of me thinks, well, it's got to be a trick. And, but in fact, looking at it objectively, you would assume that, uh, that, that somebody that's won a large amount of money on the lottery is going to be happier than they were before. Or indeed, somebody that's suffered a, a paraplegic, life-changing event is going to be less happy than they were before. But fill me in, Chris. Well, that is what you would think. Although um, some people try to get a bit clever and think, well, actually, the lottery winners are less happy, maybe. Actually, it's neither of those. The result was that whoever said they were happy before the event, whichever one, is happy after the event. And if you were unhappy before the event, you're unhappy after the event. If you've always been a miserable bugger, you'll always be a miserable <laughs> exactly, bugger. Uh, exactly. It's the glass half full, glass half empty principle. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. We all know a mood hoover, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I find this in my in my day-to-day job, meeting and speaking to clients. You, you have some that are really optimistic, which is great, and you want to encourage that, but sometimes you need to, to put in a dose of realism just to make sure that they're not getting carried away. Um, but also those that are, are the glass half empty types. You know, you really need to encourage them to think a bit more positively sometimes and also remind them that the, the world isn't going to end tomorrow um, and to stop worrying about things that they can't control. So, yeah. Or maybe just, spend uh, a bit of their money sometimes. Spend a bit of their money yeah. sometimes, which, considering I'm tight as Tomo, is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is an interesting one. So if there is a set point around which our perception of happiness revolves, how's that set and how can we change it? But it's going to be down to your personality. It's going to have been built up through childhood experiences. It's, it's that Kolb's cycle of learning I was talking about earlier. There's a lot of debate amongst psychologists about set point theory, about whether it can be changed. Uh, I like to think of that story I told you earlier on about the telephone. Um, if we become set in our ways, then we continue to oscillate around a given level of, given level of happiness. But if some new information comes in, then maybe we can change our set point. I think that's actually the very purpose of this podcast, in fact, and the Financial Wellbeing book, to provide people with new ideas about happiness, to know themselves better, so they may be able to create a genuine, permanent shift in their set point. So going back to your story about Michael, the the, the thing that maybe might have influenced his set point was the realisation that by dropping his phone for the sixth time (laughs) and it breaking, that his previous theories about that were perhaps incorrect. Exactly right, exactly right. So that's set point theory. The second theory is comparison theory. And this says that our happiness comes from our assessment of our perceived gap between the reality of our lives and common standards. And a bit like David, you said the glass half full, half empty. There's a lot of phrases for these things and keeping up with the Joneses might be one that would apply here. If there's a large gap between how we see our lives and how we see, let's say, the next door neighbour's lives, then that can make us happy if that's what we're focusing on. And we see this in Ovation Finance giving planning advice to clients, don't we, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. You, you, two fronts. People needing to keep up with the Joneses on a social front, can, there can be a pressure there um, and an unhappiness if they don't have the means. But the other one is you often get, oh, I'm not as wealthy as our friends. 
oh, what does it really matter if if your life is different to them? So yeah, a couple of a couple of areas that come up. So I'm I just checking a very quick story here. There's a um, a friend of ours who uh, sold their business for quite a lot of money, and when I was having a conversation with them and they told me how much money, which is really a lot of money, I had a bit of a weird next day. I felt, what could I do with that money? You know, if I, why wasn't that me? If only I... And at the end of the day, I suddenly realised the fact that that person had made all that money made no difference to my life whatsoever. Mm. And yet I spent the day brooding on it and it was just making me unhappy. And when I woke up to that and realised that, I got rid of that feeling completely and felt better again. Oh, well, that's great. Um, one question I needed to ask, though, you, there's an expression you used earlier, common standards, so something that we understand as being common standards of happiness. Well, that's rather subjective, isn't it? Who, who determines what those standards are? I think society does to a point. Uh, so does the media, advertising. We've talked about advertising before. Advertising specifically tries to show how much cooler we would be, say, if we bought their product. You know, the one everyone's talking about or the best-selling one or the one that's endorsed by that really cool celebrity. All of these things attempt to place that product as being the one thing that we should buy because that's the common standard for happiness and therefore the one that will make us happy. So is comparison theory therefore always bad? No, no, not at all. You can make it work for you. For example, comparing upwards makes us unhappy, but comparing downwards can make us realise how lucky we are. I reckon philanthropy could work here. You know, remember the rules of philanthropy, David? You remember the rules of philanthropy? Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Go on, test him, test him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, got I, don't want to waste our, I don't want to waste our listeners' <laughs> time by going over them again. I think we all know what they are. No, we, we went through them back in podcast uh, 12, all the way back in podcast 12. And, and we looked at how charitable giving can be directed to maximise well-being. And uh, three main principles, or the three main principles were to plan your giving to give to something with which you have a personal connection and see or know the effects of your giving. So I reckon this fits really quite nicely with this comparison theory of yours, Chris. You know, get involved with a charity, see other people who are worse off than you and get the double whammy of feeling better because comparison, because of comparison theory and you feel better because you're helping people who are less fortunate than you. Well, spot on, Tom. I really agree with that. So... Uh, that's two of them then, Chris. What's the third theory of happiness? The third theory is called need theory, and this suggests that happiness comes from whether certain needs are being gratified. Now, is this a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I've heard about? Uh, does that fit in here? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is all about the order in which we need to have certain things. So need theory suggests we have the ability to be happy the ability to be happy this is within us we have the ability to be happy but we're unable to experience it until certain other basic requirements have been met and in a particular order so according to maslow the first basic needs are food and shelter then we need to need feel safe for example to be healthy or have a decent job then we need to belong to be part of a family or community then we need self-esteem, perhaps a sense of purpose, and it's at this level that happiness is really able to start to flourish. So it might be worth just bringing this back to financial planning for a moment. Ever the voice of sense. <laughs> exactly, as we get <laughs> all flowery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and part of the principles of financial well-being um, really come, come in here. So it's uh, have these various needs covered by the financial plan. So a sustainable level of income 
you know, which we have talked about, relates to the first need, you know, covering food and shelter, you know, that, that uh, real basic need covered. And then we stress the importance of having emergency funds set aside, which relates directly to the second level of the need to feel safe. And the financial plan itself is also a big part of this, you know, feeling that that future is safe. You know, next is the need to belong, so to be part of a community, and that comes from spending the disposable income you have in ways to increase well-being. You know, it might be such as philanthropy or having spare time to help others. You know, it's working on community well-being, which we explored with George Ferguson again all the way back in podcast eleven. You know, and also working for a company with a sense of purpose, perhaps, you know, which comes into the employee ownership stuff we talked about a couple of episodes ago. It's almost like this is all part of a plan. Isn't it's it? unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's like we think about these things, isn't it? And then there is the self-esteem and the sense of purpose. And this is what starts to appear when you get rid of thinking about you know, just money and instead focusing on your financial well-being. Well, Tomo, that's brilliantly summed up, and I think that's very much uh, sums up a lot of the things we've been talking about in these podcasts. And I think now that Chris is no longer in charge of the company, I think that we definitely need to reinstate pay rise for Tomo. (laughs) But I think it's one that you now need to start influencing your co-owners of the company and and start to talk to them. Because actually, when I hear you coming out with stuff like that, I think... And you should be running the company, quite frankly. It has been said. It has been <laughs> Only said. Only by you. Only by me. I need my steps covered. I need my I need my Maslow steps, steps covered. I've got one last theory of happiness to bung in the mix here, then. There's a professor of psychology from America called Tim Kasser. Uh, I saw him interviewed in a, a magazine that I've started subscribing to because these, these podcasts have affected me in a weird way, called New Philosophy Magazine. A really, really interesting magazine. And he gave a great summary of how to be happy. So great, in fact, that I've interviewed him. He's going to be coming on a future podcast. Oh, a really interesting guy. Now, he talked about doing something or owning something for its intrinsic value. Now, could you define what we mean when we talk about intrinsic value? Intrinsic value is measured by how much one enjoys doing and completing a task. In other words, doing it for its own sake and not for any reward. And Tim's research over many, many years says that achieving intrinsic values is what brings happiness. Doing things because you enjoy them, not for the financial reward. Chris, you said something about that a few podcasts ago. Uh, I think it was a... Was it Daniel Pink, a book by Daniel Pink? It was Daniel Pink. That's it. Um, Daniel Pink's book called Drive. Um, When we do something, work which, which is fulfilling, we're less concerned with the financial rewards. Same sort of thing. Now... Tim Kasser's research suggests prioritising intrinsic values rather than materialistic goals, and that will exhibit a far greater effect on our well-being. But, and this is the bit I love, it's a bit more subtle than that. Because if we aim for intrinsic values, if we aim to do the things which bring us fulfilment, but fail to make sufficient progress, that actually makes us less happy. Okay? So on the other hand, achieving materialistic goals has very little effect. So if we just try and do things that we enjoy and do them, we'll be happy. If we try and do things that we enjoy and fail, we're unhappy. If we buy stuff, it makes no difference to happiness whatsoever. So is that just devil's advocate? Does that mean if you focus on materials, you're play- you're just playing it safe? You're never going to have an emotional <laughs> up or down. Well, if I go back to that set point theory, yeah. you know, it depends where you're starting from, yeah, isn't it? You might true. be always unhappy. That's true. <laughs> it's true. But hey, never die wandering, right? <laughs> so... Um, let me ask you two a question, okay? Uh, 
if you're up for this, you two are, if I may be so bold, almost at the opposite ends of your respective careers. I don't think that's a rude thing to say, is it, David? Well, it's very rude, but it's true. <laughs> so, David, looking back, what has made you happy in those intrinsic goals and um, in your work? And, Tomo, what are you aiming for that will make you happy? Well, it's interesting when I look back at the things that make me happy. I don't think of work. I think of people. I think of being in love. I think of having a child. Uh, I think of my family. I think of my friends. Those are the things that have made me happy and continue to make me happy. But what in your work has made you happy? Maybe it's because they contributed towards those things? Yeah, it's been able to express all of those things, I guess. As a creative writer, it means that I can write about those things. And certainly when, I, when, I'm, when I'm writing about something that I care passionately about or a person or people I care about or a subject that I care about, yeah, I find that fulfilling and happy. But in the end, it is down for me. It's down to, it is down to people and relationships. I think that's the, those, for me, are the key things in life. So your financial well-being has come from money being an enabler to those Exactly, standards. for me being able to do nice things, like so just been away to this on this very nice holiday, I was able to take my partner and treat her, and that made me feel very happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and so, and if I help my son out sometimes, because he doesn't earn a huge amount of money, and uh, give him money because he's going to be able to do something with it that's important to him, and that makes me feel happy. So, yeah, friends and family, very important to me. Tom, well, I don't know if that influences what you were about to say, but <laughs> what are you aiming for? What intrinsic what goals are you Intrinsic. So, I remember watching an interview with Barack Obama, and he said a lesson that he's given to his two girls was, if you can be kind and help people, you'll be all right. And I thought, you know what, that really resonated with me. And sometimes I'm grumpy in the mornings and sometimes I'm impatient and I try and be kind all the time. So if I'm doing a job where I can help people, which I believe I do in, in the work that I do at Ovation. And also that means that, you know, I can earn a, you know, a good salary, hashtag pay rights for Tomo, which then I can help my family prosper. Mm. And obviously I'd always try and be kind to my family. So yeah, being kind and helping. So if I, as long as I've got those two, um, I think I'll be all right. I would agree one hundred percent with that. I think the kindness is uh, is 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 everything really. And I I get no pleasure whatsoever from being horrible to people, though sometimes I am. But I get huge pleasure from being kind to people, which I just think is a a, a more natural thing. Okay, let's try and summarise this then. So, our happiness oscillates around a set point although that point can be increased if we do what you tell us to do, Chris, and we'll be unhappier if we compare ourselves to those who are more successful than us, but happier if we help those less successful than us. Um, we can increase our happiness by spending money on the basics of financial planning so that we can focus on what matters in life and we should focus less on what we own and more on the things that bring us joy. How's that? David, I think we can now stop these podcasts. <laughs> I don't think we ever need to do another one. Everything that we're trying to achieve has just been said in that little summary. Well, that's true. However, just for the benefit of people that might be going, well, I don't need to subscribe to any more of these. Actually, we're not going to stop the podcasts. We are going to carry on. Good, it's, it's fun. It's, yes, it's great fun. It's been very interesting sitting around chatting to you today in Chris's lovely cabin. Uh, and we'll be back with you very soon for other Financial Wellbeing Podcast. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button.
For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. <laughs>